Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truth of the indestructible Word of God. Which human writing can you rely on as the final authority today? You have a science book you went to college in 10, 20 years ago? You think you can take that same book back and go to school with it? It's been updated five, six, ten times now. The Bible has never been updated. It's never been recalled. How do you explain all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation in harmony and unity? One God revealing themselves to redeem mankind. You've only got one explanation, God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The very first verse of Scripture contains the cornerstone of biblical revelation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All things owe their existence to the creative Word of God. If man rejects God's creative Word, man rejects the Creator. And turning to a study drawn from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, here's Pastor Xavier continuing with a list of simple but compelling truths for the veracity of God's simple truths, the Holy Scripture. From kings to fishermen, statesmen, tax collectors, herdsmen, military generals, doctors, and Rabbi Paul. Written from diverse places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Ezekiel from Babylon captivity, Daniel from Shushan the palace, uh, David in Jerusalem, Paul in prison, in the mission field, Luke interviewing people in his travels, written from three continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, contains eyewitnesses, both in the Old Testament as well as the New, contains law, history, poetry, prophecy in the Old Testament, the New Testament, also has history, the book of Acts, prophecy, the book of Revelation. They're both the same. They deal with law, civil, criminal, ethical, ritual, moral, sanitary. That's the Pentateuch. And the epistles deal with that also to an extent. It gives to us accounts of wars, treaties, biographies, records of kings, Kings are said in such chronological order and reference to other kings of the same time period of opposite kingdoms that they are so detailed that makes them more accurate. Where the more you give, the more chance of error. They all cross-reference. And whenever there are believed to be an error, if they do enough study, they find out that they're wrong. Many said the Pentateuch had to have been written after Moses because uh, there was no known writing until uh, they found the detailed law of Hammurabi predating Moses and Abraham. God is so neat. You know, he's in control of the archaeologists and he kind of leads them. He says, you know, I, I want to clear something up. Why don't you dig here? So-called higher critics said there was no Hittite civilization. And through archaeology now, we know that there was a 1,200-year span of Hittite civilization. Daniel was disputed until the elephantine papyrus was discovered. How about the Dead Sea Scrolls? They were found, as you know, in March 1947 in Qumran Caves. It's about eight miles south of Jericho. And they date back to 125 B.C., giving us a thousand-year older manuscripts than we possess of Isaiah. 
So that should be a good comparison. Well, let's see how accurate they were. Other manuscripts that were found were dated back to 200 B.C. When they compared the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew text, they were the same. The only difference was as they compared the Masoretic text, it had the little markings over it. The markings were placed later to know how to put the emphasis on the word. We do not have original manuscripts. We have copies of copies. But by comparing the number of copies and you put them side by side, you can come up with the accuracy of the text that what you possess is God's word. Archaeologist Nelson Gluck said this, quote, There is no archaeological discovery that has ever controverted or contradicted the biblical reference. How often people believe and say that the Bible has errors and contradictions? You've heard that. People have said it to you. Next time somebody says that, I've told you often, say this. Open your Bible, say, show me one. Where at? They wouldn't be able to show it to you. They've never read the Bible. They're making a judgment on a book they've never even read. And to blow their mind, give them the Bible and say, here, turn the book of Hezekiah. And then go grab a Coke and sit down. <laughs> How often have you heard the response? Well, there are many translations and interpretations of the Bible. Listen. Tell them that the Bible interprets the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. You must take it in its context. You must study the historical background. And you must study it in the language it's written. Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. And when you do those three things, you will come up with exactly what it meant to the people of that day. The Bible is not subjective. You don't read into it. You don't interpret it yourself. You allow the Bible to interpret the Bible because God doesn't contradict himself. Which human writing can you rely on as the final authority today? You have a science book you went to college in 10, 20 years ago? Do you think you can take that same book back and go to school with it? It's been updated five, six, ten times now. The Bible has never been updated. Has never been recalled. Has no need. It's the same. What group of men in past history have agreed to die for a lie in the succeeding generations? Christianity has not only survived, it has flourished especially under persecution. If you don't believe it, you better read the book in China. I don't have to give you historical things of the first century. Our century, our generation. What happened with Mao's reign? The church went underground. The missionaries were kicked out. And what the missionaries couldn't do, the Holy Spirit did under persecution. He made the church grow. How do you explain all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation in harmony and unity? One God revealing himself to redeem mankind. You've only got one explanation, God. This is God's word. And so this is the revelation of Jeremiah and the historical evidence. We know here, we're, giving, we're being told here that he's writing and God's telling him and he's telling the scribe and he's writing it down. And we see the transmission as we examine some of these things that Jeremiah's book is the same. Listen, if God's able to reveal himself, do you think God is able to hold his, keep his word? To protect it? Of course he can. Let's look lastly at the purpose of the revelation of Jeremiah. Let's go back to verse 3. Notice first, the revelation of Jeremiah was in hope of repentance. This is the bottom line, people. The purpose behind God's command was to turn the nation. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them. 
the purpose of the nation, did not lose sight of the individual. Look what he says, that every man may turn from his evil way. So God's dealing with the nation, but the nation has rejected over and over again. There comes a time, listen to me, there comes a time when God gives up a nation. But that does not mean that God is not interested in individuals repenting still. God had given up Israel, in this case Judah, the southern kingdom. But he was still dealing with individuals. Now I don't know if God has given up America. But I wouldn't doubt it. Especially in light of 9-11. And all that has happened after this. And on the ACLU, nobody said anything about people praying or anything else. But now time has flown and now we're starting to get proud and haughty and, and objectionable again. Even this last judge who said the Pledge of Allegiance was against the Constitution because God was in it. How dare he in view of 9-11 and the men who have died for that flag. God is dealing with individuals. I don't know about America anymore, but I know he's still dealing with individuals. Okay? Notice the purpose of God was to reconcile them to himself. That I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. This was the heart of God for the people and still is for the world. God has not changed. Look at verse 7. The purpose is repeated. That they might repent. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and everyone will turn from their evil ways. Do you mean God didn't know? He was waiting to see? No, He knew. But He's giving individuals chances. Individuals come. There's some of you who have heard the gospel over and over again. You still have not come. You get moved. God deals with your heart. And then you get cold feet. You say, no, no, I'm, I'm not ready. Well, you're never going to be ready. And tomorrow's promise to no one. You need to respond. Verse 7 says, For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against His people. You remember Isaiah the prophet? In chapter 5 about the vineyard? He says, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Isaiah 5, 4. What is he saying there? He's saying that God was reaching out and individuals were rejecting him. So much for Calvinism. That God took the frozen chosen to go to heaven. And he damned the rest of humanity without ever giving them a chance. Listen, the Bible always says, whosoever will. If you end up in hell, it's not because God predestined you to go to hell. If you end up in hell, it's because you chose to reject the word of God. And then afterwards, you'll be judged for your sins, but you'll go to hell because you rejected God's word. Indirectly for your sins. God hasn't predestined you to go to hell. He wants you to repent. My God says He died for the whole world. Throughout the word of God. So Calvinists always interpret whosoever's to mean the elect. Eh, wrong. Dishonest. Unscriptural. My God says He died for the whole world. And whosoever will come, he'll receive them. The God of the Calvinist says, God takes pleasure in damning the majority of humanity without ever giving them a chance. That's not my God of the Bible. My Bible says he became the propitiation for the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. He's not willing that any should perish, though he knows many will perish because they reject the word of God. You understand what I'm talking about? Notice secondly, verse 5. The proclamation of the revelation was the vehicle. For repentance. 
The prophet Jeremiah gave instructions to Baruch to, and commanded him, saying, I am confined. I cannot go to the house of the Lord. Now, there are many people who say that he was ceremonially unclean. He couldn't go in. Others say that he was in prison, but he doesn't get in prison until the next chapter. Okay? Most likely what happened is, remember chapter 7 and chapter 26? When Jeremiah went to the temple, the temple of the Lord, and exposed their hypocrisy, and he got in trouble? Most likely they banned him from the temple because when he went in there, he was always proclaiming judgment against them. That's probably what's implied here. The scribe Baruch in verse 6, notice, was to go and to read from the scroll that he had written at his instructions. These were the words of the Lord, not his. And they were to be spoken to the people in the Lord's house in the day of fasting. Now, in verse 6 there, it says, You shall read to them in the hearing of the Judah who come from their city. So, this was a special time. This is a time of fasting. The complete obedience of Baruch is stated in verse 8 through 10. This man is obedient. He's a vessel of God. But it's the word of God that's the instrument. Notice that he read the book in verse 8. Of the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And then in verse 9, Baruch read the prophecy to all the people the following year. The fifth year of Jehoiakim, the ninth month. So, it's that following year. We started with 605. Now it's 604, December. So it's taking some time to write the scrolls, Okay. And the people were proclaiming a fast. They had proclaimed a fast. This is not one of the fasts of the, of the law. This is a fast like a national emergency. What's a national emergency? Well, Babylon had sacked Philistia and Ascalon. And Babylon is, 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 is there coming to siege them. So they, you know, it's like the regular, like you and I used to be. We get in trouble, we call God. We declare an, an, an emergency day. <laughs> the convenient God. Yet they weren't living for God, they weren't obeying God's word, and yet they declare a fast. Oh, let's go to the Lord. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll do something for us. What the heck? And so in verse 10, Baruch reads from the book, the words of Jeremiah. He did it in the house of the Lord, the locations in the chamber of Jeremiah, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe in the upper room, the entry of the new gate in the Lord's house. And he proclaimed the words in the hearing of all the people. All of them heard. All the people heard the word of God. God is sufficient. If He's sufficient to reveal Himself, He is sufficient to proclaim His Word. Don't worry about the pygmy. You're hearing the Word of God. What are you going to do about it? God will take care of the pygmy. By the way, they heard the Word, and you know what they did? They repented. So much for the pygmy. Okay? God makes Himself responsible. But thirdly, the proclamation of, of the Word demands a response. The Word is a vehicle, but it demands a response. Look at verse 11 through 13. Micaiah responded to hearing of the word. He went and informed all the princes. Micaiah was the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, in verse 11. In verse 12, Micaiah, being moved, went down to the princes of the king's house into the scribes' chamber where they were all sitting. So he feared. He had a good response. And these guys' names were there, Elishima, Delii, Elthanah. Verse 13, Then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. The first reading to Micaiah in the temple. Now, we have the second reading to the princes, verses 14 through 15. The response of the princes. They sent Jehudai, the son of Natalai, the son of Shelemai, the son of Cushai, to Baruch. And then notice, they told him to take the scroll in verse 14 and 15, that he had read to the people, and to come. And he did, and they said, sit down now and read it in our hearing. This is the second time. The men treated Baruch with respect, giving him the position of a teacher. Sit down. Baruch 
is a man who was trained. He's a scribe. Verse 16, the response of the princess was good. Having heard all the words, they look in fear one to another. Oh, that's a good response. But you got to go beyond fear, okay? That's the beginning. But you got to repent. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, Proverbs 1, 7 and 9, 10 says. It's the foundation and the first step. You know the sticker that you see out there? No fear, N-O. People think they're rah, rah, rah. Listen, K-N-O-W, no fear. That's better, okay? Makes you wiser. Notice they told Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. They felt responsible. It was their duty. And they asked Baruch in verse 17 to tell them how he wrote these words of his instruction. And as you know, in verse 18, he tells them, you know, he told me, maybe other pentacle, boom, boom. And he did it. Look at 19. Then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. They feared the king's response and retribution. These guys feared God, at least from this evidence. But they knew the king did not. They knew the king was a rat. And they feared for Baruch and Jeremiah. Go hide yourself. And look at verse 26. The response of King Jehoiakim was to reject God's word. In verse 20, the men informed the king that they entered the court after having hid the scroll. So, they didn't even want the king to know there was a scroll. They hid it. And the king ordered the scroll, in verse 21, to be brought to, by Jehudai from Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. This is the third reading of the scroll. And in verse 22, the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month of December with a fire burning. It was cold. And uh, verse 23, when uh, Jehudai had read three or four columns, then the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire till it was consumed. The word column there is literally door. The only time this appears in the Old Testament, meaning just a column. Interesting. Notice the instrument that he cut it up with, a scribe's knife. The very same instrument that God allowed a man to use to record and prepare the word. The king thought he was above the authority and used that instrument to destroy God's word and to cast it in. Hmm, brazen. The shocking thing was that the king was not afraid, nor his servants, verse 24 says, nor did they tear their garments at the hearing of the word. What a contrast between this man Jehoiakim and his father Josiah. In Second Kings chapter 22 and 23, when Josiah was told that the book of the law was found in the temple by Hilkiah, he rent his clothes and he proclaimed a reformation, repentance. This king is brazen. Listen, because you fear God doesn't mean your children are going to fear God. Because you walk with God doesn't mean your children are going to walk with God. They have to make their own decision. We pray for our children. We raise our children. We hold our children. But once they are grown up, God help them if they don't walk with God. He was interested in alliance with Egypt, as Second Kings 23 tells us. He didn't care about God. Look at 25. The men who fear Yahweh pleaded with the king to not burn the scroll, but to no avail. He would not listen. Interesting, there's one guy here, Elnathan. He was one of the men who had slaughtered Uriah that was mentioned in Jeremiah 26, 22. But this guy, he has a fear of God now. You see, God can turn people. There's no one beyond hope. Verse 26, the king gave orders to arrest Baruch and Jeremiah. So he commanded here, Jeremiah, 
his son, Zariah, the son of Aziel, and Shemiah, the son of Abiel. But what happened? The Lord hit them. The Lord is able to protect you. When you're, you know what? You're going to die right on time. You don't have to worry about it. Right on time. When God's done with you, He'll take you home. There's no retirement here. <laughs> He'll retire you. Professor Montier Williams says this. Quote, Pile them, if you will, one on the left of your study, but place your own holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, all alone, and with a wide gap between them, for there is a gulf between it and the so-called books of the East, which severs the one from the other utterly, hopelessly, forever. The Bible was not written to be a science book, nor to primarily appeal to man's intellect, for man rejects the things of God through his intellect, 1 Corinthians 2.14. They're foolishness to him. The Bible does not attempt to describe the creation in great detail. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No big deal. God's not out there with an inferiority complex. He's not trying to say, oh, come on, come on, believe me, really, I really did it. The Bible does not bother to explain the details of the flood in many different ways. He just says, you know, they were bad, they were evil, they rebelled against me, and I judged them. God is transcendent beyond man's ability to understand the things of God. God will use man's intellect, but he doesn't depend on it. God is the only one that can shed light on man's intellect according to the things of God and to cause him to believe. But you have to take the initiative. You have human responsibility. You can understand. Now you've got to take the step by God's grace. See, the Bible was written to reveal man's need of God. And to bring him to repentance before God. Not to entertain him. The reason God revealed himself and the plan of salvation are many. Because he loves man, John 3.16. Because his son died for man, Romans 5.6. Because he's coming back to judge the world, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. And because God has allowed the record that you... Believe in that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you may have everlasting life in His name. John twenty thirty one. He has gone out of His way to make it very, very specific and very, very easy. I can do nothing. All I can do is decide, where am I going to spend eternity? Do you see yourself as a sinner according to Romans three twenty three, Or do you see yourself as a good person not needing salvation? Do you see yourself as a person who has to believe in the heart and confess with your mouth? Or do you believe that's just a bunch of nonsense? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 on down. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The, the vehicle is the proclamation of God's word. Man responds. That you might know that all your sins can be forgiven and cast in the deepest ocean. And you can be made a new creature according to Psalm 103, 12. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all your sins are forgiven. And you're a son or daughter of God and have your life changed by the power of God's word. This was the purpose of the revelation to Jeremiah. It has not changed. The command to record his revelation has been clearly laid out here. The revelation of Jeremiah. The revelation of Jeremiah and the historical evidence is unquestionable. And the purpose of the revelation of Jeremiah. To repent, to save. Our hope is that if you're here today and you don't know him, that you would repent from your sins. 
and you would ask Him to come in and change your life. And if you mean that, He will do that. You have His Word, not mine, His Word. So God's Word is indestructible. What are you going to do about it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Pastor Xavier Reese making the personal application for God's inspired simple truths of the Bible. And just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled God's Word is Indestructible are available on CD for only $4. And we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply God's Word is Indestructible or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 